Welcome to Seeking Knowledge, a genomics podcast from the Sequencing Center. I'm your host, Deidre Casey, here at the Sequencing Center Lab in Fort Collins, Colorado. Each week, we'll take a look at genomics-related topics, from current events to new ideas, with the hope of inspiring fellow knowledge seekers like you. Today, we're joined by Ryan Casey, Head of Product and Business Development at the Sequencing Center, to talk about the future of genetics in the clinical market. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Deidre. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really curious, as the Head of Product at the Sequencing Center, what is your vision for the future of genetics? Yeah, so it's a pretty interesting question, and I think the the reality is a lot of people think about it from one facet, and a lot of that is just purely the future of sequencing, but I think what's really interesting about the clinical market specifically is that uh, we look at it from a kind of a holistic perspective, so that includes everything from the upstream all the way down to the, the downstream. Um, and what happens when you look at it from that view is the market starts to expand dramatically in what's possible. And so we're thinking about everything from how do we do full end-to-end clinical pipelines, uh, where we actually influence the upstream sample collection to biobanking, all the way down to the informatics and data storage and even the analytics of uh, the, the clinical market. So I think there's, there's, you know, the, there's that view of it. Um, I also think that there's a lot of specific type of sequencing pipelines and testings that's going to come out. So what I mean by that is you, one of the largest uh, revenue generators we have at our company is HLA Typing. Um, and we have an entire pipeline built out about that uh, that's end-to-end. And we think that there's going to be a lot more opportunities uh, within the, the market to do that in different areas, for example, with myeloid and leukemia and, and a handful of other uh, different areas. And so the biggest limiting factor, though, with getting there is the the FDA needs to approve all, you know, obviously these for, for clinical usage. Um, and where it really starts, though, is in clinical research. And so a lot of the activity right now uh, that we see is uh, kind of building up these pipelines inside the clinical research side, and then that translates into actually being FDA approved for clinical diagnostics. So right now we're kind of uh, sitting on more of the clinical research side and our, our hope and, and vision in the future and where we think the biggest market opportunities and expansions are going to be in is actually getting to clinical diagnostics. Just the other day I was reading an article about how one of the hardest parts of you know being a medical doctor is just doing things like inputting medical records and then referencing history around medical records. And and when they talked about introducing genetics into that factor, people were saying, I don't have the time to go dive deep into the to the data of genetics and then figure out what the correlations may be and, and, and filter out the false positives between the phenotypic and the genotypic information. And so when we think about that, we, we really say, okay, so that means we need to provide very prescriptive concise information so that whatever we produce to the doctors doesn't impede their their day-to-day progress. And so, again, I think, you know, when you look at that from a diagnostic perspective, there's a lot of clinical opportunities around that. You know, the market just is constantly expanding. So for us, I think we're going to be focusing heavily on just the clinical end-to-end pipelines and for clinical research and doing only a handful of those and then expanding out. And I think a lot of other companies are going to follow that uh, same suit just because it's um, it's very risk mitigating uh, and it helps you get to the market in a, in a little bit easier of fashion rather than trying to hit the whole shebang right out of the, right out of the gate. So many of our listeners might be thinking this too, um, but it certainly came to mind for me is what do you mean by a full integrated pipeline? Can you explain a little bit about what pipelines are? 
Yeah, sure. So when we, when we talk about pipelines, uh, there's a lot of different kind of terminologies for, for different areas of it. So historically, there's been the notion of uh, bioinformatics pipelines, and that's purely taking raw sequencing data and running it through multiple stages of informatics analysis. So that might be look something like you know your alignment, and then after your alignment comes a variant analysis and, and then something else potentially. And so for us, though, we, we want to look at it in a bit of a longer and holistic view. And what we mean by that is the pipelines that we are looking to build and are currently building not only span from the bioinformatics side, but they also go all the way up to sample collection. So when we say uh, we want to collect HLA typing samples, we actually uh, influence wh- how the samples are collected, how much of, of what type of sample is collected, uh, and then we actually have an entire pipeline all the way down to uh, the data management and, and storage of that. And so what happens when you're able to do that is you not only get a higher quality pipeline from end to end, you can you can actually do the QC steps at each of the different stages uh, to ensure the highest quality data is produced from the sequencer, but you also get really interesting efficiencies from that as well. So you might say we have a bunch of different tools that we run this through. You know, let's say we collect blood samples. We could not only do genome sequencing on the blood samples, but we could also do even hematological uh, analysis on that. So checking out different types of blood levels. Uh, And so you're not just saying, okay, we're only looking at one view. The reality is, uh, especially within medicine, that there's uh, an infinite amount of variables in what we're trying to provide from a a integrated clinical pipeline, if we we call call it that term, uh, is, is a suite of tools or analyses that help clinicians make the best judgment they, they possibly can with the most amount of data and the most accurate data possible. It sounds like you not only get a deeper view of the patient's status with this, but you also get a higher level of quality from the lab side, which is going to be reducing the risk at each stage of the process. Not only that, but you're using that data um, for comparative analysis with other projects. So for example, you've just gone through and sequenced a novel gene and acquired some unique results, or maybe you found a better way to process that sample along the way, and you can use this information and these new techniques to improve future internal processes of a similar nature. Yeah, that's totally accurate. I mean, what we tend to see is, uh, you know, when we're working through these protocols, there's different nuances and tweaks. And especially if you have a specific repeatable pipeline that you're always going through over and over again, you not only optimize the protocol itself end to end, everything from the informatics, the sequencing, the data collection, all that, but you also get to reduce the potential uh, margin of errors. The other thing, though, that I think a lot of people don't recognize within these integrated pipelines or, or that quality control is automation and cost. So if it's super repeatable, you obviously can put automation in place, uh, get a different you know, different suite of robots to handle the entire thing. Um, but you also have much more consistent purchasing power against your vendors. And so what happens then is if you know there's always going to be a specific pipeline around a specific date uh, or many in a certain time frame, you can actually leverage that in you know getting bulk discounts or, or anything of nature. Uh, and we use that specifically at our, at our lab in order to reduce our prices that we then pass on to our customers. So there's a lot of different variables and a lot of interesting things that actually happen when you move more towards these specific pipelines rather than everything is just kind of a custom project. Where are you starting to see genome sequencing being adopted in the clinical market? I mean, are people even using it yet? Do they know how to use this information properly with their patients? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of movement happening, and uh, I think people are starting to realize the value of it. Uh, you know, so we, we work with 
organizations of all types, government, private, um, universities, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we work with some pharmaceutical companies and some really big ones, and they're starting to integrate that into their drug discovery efforts to not only help prime the research, but we're even seeing uh, genome sequencing within phase one clinical trials. So we're actually starting to see potential usage in inclusion-exclusion criteria. We're also starting to see that as another additional data point. What at least the farmers are starting to realize is if you can prove through genetic data along with your phenotypic data and the results of everything that a drug has effectiveness, the genetic data helps add some heavy weight when you're going for your FDA approvals. Uh, not only that, but when you look at even things like just clinical research in general, a lot of it's happening in immunology. We're seeing it more within uh, some of the other pipelines I kind of talked about, like cancer is a huge one, where you're actually seeing a lot of genetic data-driven decision-making from the genetic side taking place. So my impression, especially when you look at the general markets as a whole, there's a lot of additional movement happening and the market growths are actually pretty surprising when you look at it. For example, the HLA typing market is currently growing at a 9.9% or 9.9 or 9.3% CAGR, somewhere in that uh, range. And that's specifically for the uh, next generation sequencing side. You're seeing an acceleration, a compounding acceleration of movement in a lot of these markets. So I think what kind of happened is you had your hype curve up in the early 2000s. Uh, we got the human genome sequence. There was a torrent of data produced from that. There's a lot of promises made leading up to that. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when it happened, they didn't really know what to do with the data. So we spent the next decade and a half, basically, trying to really understand what these things really mean. What do the genes tell us? Uh, what are they capable of doing? And now that we're starting to really understand that, we have better technologies, we have deeper sequencing technologies. Even on the computation side, we've got more computing power to help identify these things like population genomics or, or anything like that. When you look at deep learning, helping us do uh, expression profiling and things of that nature, the computing side has really caught up and helped us leverage the torrent of genetic data. And so, again, I think with all those variables in mind, you're now starting to see us come out of kind of this trough of dissolution, if you will, and moving into actual value extraction uh, from the data. And I think you're going to continue to see more and more of that, not just in a linear growth, but in exponential growth. So with more researchers and clinicians adopting sequencing, what hurdles do you see them facing? I see them facing uh, a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, the market's kind of constructed in polar opposites when you start to introduce genetics. And really the term that you need to know on this one is precision medicine. So the reason why you do sequencing is it becomes empirical data that you can reference. So within your genotypic and phenotypic data, genetics becomes your uh, empirical data and the phenotypic kind of comes your qualitative data, even though there's a bit of empirical aspects to it as well. And why that's really difficult is the drug approval process. If we just take drugs in general or even your gold standard clinical pipelines, if you will, the, the way the FDA approval process is set up is that you have to hit statistical confidence in mass. And so what you're saying is, great, we have the technology and the capabilities to start doing things on an individual basis, but in order to do them in a diagnostic way, it needs to be done in the masses. So you're at these kind of separating ends, if you will. And that's really difficult to kind of get over that hurdle. So I think a lot of that's going to come down to lawmaking and getting lawmakers more educated uh, around the potential benefits. Now, that said, there's a caveat, which is, um, as we all know, especially within genetics, there's a lot of unknowns still, right? There's a lot of false positives. Uh, correlations don't equal causation in this field by a long stretch. Um, and so there's a kind of this 
uh, additional kind of caveat that you have to understand, which is data confidence and quality, ensuring that what you what you're doing, not only from production of data from the lab side, but also the informatics. And you have to be really, really confident that when you're going to make a diagnostic, that it is the utmost quality. So I think that's another huge one. Probably another big one that's currently a hurdle, but is rapidly uh, becoming less of a, of a deal is pricing. There's a lot of general costs that are, are challenging to, to kind of overcome, but you know, you're seeing a, a dramatic reduction in the overall cost of sequencing as well as other areas of the pipeline. So I would say give that a handful more years and you'll start to get into really widespread adoption. Um, and I think that will help quite a bit. And I would say the last one has got to be the supply chain speed. This is unfortunately a pretty antiquated field for many aspects of it. And, you know, when you have a critical diagnostic that you need to make um, right now, if you're doing an ad hoc, the pipeline from a supply chain perspective isn't fast enough to get there. So there's a lot of archaic nuances with purchasing from vendors, coordinating vendors, getting everything lined up into the right place. Everything from documentation to support and things of that nature are really challenging. Um, that would also, I kind of classify supply chain as also supply of software. A lot of the informatics software is very dated. Um, they're orphaned open source technologies. And so there's very few um, kind of commercial offerings that really hold water. So when you take all those, you know, it sounds doom and gloom and terrible and all that stuff. When you look at the, the growth rate from today compared to five years ago, I mean, it's, it is absolutely night and day difference. And, and again, you're seeing a continual investment into genetics being a priority uh, within the clinical aspects. So, you know, while we see these all as hurdles, there's a lot of goodness happening to actually get past these hurdles and start to increase the adoption. So we, we in our lab proceed with a little bit of caution and is, um, and that's why we're currently working on more of these clinical research integrated pipelines. And when we start to butt up into things like regulations and data confidence and all that stuff, that's when we'll start to really take a heavy investment into ensuring that those are, are all in place. Are you guys at the sequencing center doing anything to overcome these hurdles right now? Yeah, we have a we have a lot of different kind of initiatives behind the scenes going on. So at, at the sequencing center, we don't play ball in clinical diagnostics. We heavily and currently focus on uh, clinical research, um, and that gives us a little bit more of a leeway. There's a bit of a more of an experimentation process, but we're leveraging all the learnings from that process and all the fine tuning and nuances that help us produce the utmost high quality data and increase the confidence in the data, we're taking those learnings and going to eventually apply them into actual clinical diagnostics. So right now, I would say we are in preparation mode for uh, getting into a place where we feel like we can go to the FDA and come up with our um, you know, approvals for actually providing these pipelines. But apart from that, you know, there's obviously things like the pricing. We're constantly dropping our pricing. You know, just recently we dropped our HLA pricing by, I think it was like over 30% or something like that, 30 to 35%. And apart from that too, you know, we're doing things like commoditizing different aspects of the pipeline. So DNA extraction is now free for us. Basic bioinformatics is free with our facility. And these are all really great things to help reduce the barriers of entry in order to increase the widespread adoption. So I think those are really great things. Supply chain is a little bit more of a tricky situation. We just really focus on working with vendors who think like not necessarily a startup, but they think in agile terms, they think in speed, and they really want to build great relationships. And so we're really interested in working with those types of vendors and people who really get our general vision around the markets. 
Some of our listeners out there may be doctors and clinicians that have never used clinical genome sequencing before and might not know where to start. What are some things they should know going into this? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that we could recommend within this podcast. I think the most critical ones, though, are uh, probably sample collection. Obviously, it all starts with the sample, the patient, um, being able to collect that. If you don't collect that information, we obviously can't really do much from a genetics perspective or, or anything else for that matter. So I think that's kind of step one is is not only just sample collection, but understanding the quality controls around sample collection. So actually collecting samples in a really good manner, um, making sure you're using the proper vials, making sure that you're collecting things uh, in kind of a clean and high quality uh, way. So, you know, there's other things too, such as, uh, you know, resource guidelines. You can go to NCBI. Um, there's a lot of information about sample collections. Um, on the sequencing center, we have our own sample submission guidelines. Um, we've also got uh, experts on staff who really help understand projects and help guide people through them. I think that's a really critical point is when you're looking at going with a sequencing vendor, you really want to find someone who's less they care less about the money and more about making sure that the initial setup of the project makes sense and helps guide you into more of an educational perspective. We've worked with a lot of clients who initially did sequencing and have come back to us for sequencing, or, or they went to another vendor for sequencing and they came back to us for sequencing. And I think it's really important that you, you find a sequencing vendor that helps you along the process because it's a very complicated weird, funky process. There's a lot of nuances and all those things. And so you, patience is a big one. Find a vendor who's patient. So I guess if I were to recap, it, it really comes down to making sure you're collecting the samples properly, finding a really high quality vendor who who helps you along with the journey, you know, and kind of a shameless plug. You know, that's some, some things that we really pride ourselves on at the Sequencing Center. We've got great sample submission guidelines. We really take care of our clients. Um, we try and do right by them. So that's what I would recommend. This is really exciting news to hear how much genome sequencing is shaping a new era of clinical research and diagnostics. Ryan, thanks for sharing the Sequencing Center's vision and participation in this podcast with us today. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. If you listeners out there want to spend more time digesting this information, we record all the show notes for you. Today's episode can be found at thesequencingcenter.com episode two. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast site and follow us on Twitter at at the Seek Center, that's S-E-Q Center, for more genomics news. If you have any questions, comments, or need a quote, go ahead and email us at info at thesequencingcenter.com. I'm Deidre Casey, and thanks for listening to Seeking Knowledge, a genomics podcast from the Sequencing Center.